This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. Not a football Friday. The football Friday, of course, will be next week with the Super Bowl coming up the week after. But we'll be talking about it. We'll be talking about the Denver Broncos to start today because as the Super Bowl rolls around, this is sort of the quietest couple weeks of football. The coaching carousel more or less complete. Some shuffling with, uh, obviously, assistance and things like that. And we'll see if some of that affects the Broncos. It could be Christian Parker, certainly. But for the Broncos, for the most part, probably sitting that all out. The question is, how much more do they end up sitting out in this offseason? We know that they'll be moving away from Russell Wilson. Ignore the statements made in the (laughs) tail end of the season in which that hasn't been decided because, of course, it's been decided. Yes, but we we do have to periodically, I think, remind our audience because you're getting hit with it all the time. Well, uh, and I give Legwald credit on this. Jeff Legwald, our friend from uh, ESPN.com, he has been uh, equally dismissive of that notion every time he writes. Uh, Basically, he's saying it became a foregone conclusion that Russell Wilson is out when the Broncos mentioned him. Right. Which is exactly what we said at the time. The die was cast. Over and done. The second he was benched, you're in effect firing him. Yes. You're not just demoting him. You're firing him. He's healthy. You know, if you were worried about him getting hurt, you should have benched him. Weeks ago. Oh, that's right. You couldn't do that because they're on a winning streak then. Right. Right. You know, and it was such, it, it, it was so poorly handled. You you knew that's what it was because if it had been handled professionally, there would be perhaps a door open. But Wilson had to all but file a formal grievance with the NFLPA in order to stop the Broncos from threatening to bench him if he didn't adjust his contract based on essentially insurance against injury. Yes. Yes. So the Broncos are moving on from Wilson. Ignore anything that says otherwise. Of course they are. That date will come relatively soon, about six weeks from now. March 17th, there is sort of the uh, the deadline there. If he's still on the roster, $37 million in salary becomes fully guaranteed. In 2025. Right. And so... 24 is already guaranteed. We're going to we're gonna see a move there, obviously. And they'll have to figure out how to get rid of $85 million in dead cap money, which will set a new NFL record by a, a monster jump over Matt Ryan, who had the previous one, and that was in the 40s. So you're talking about... A situation where the Broncos, if they release him with a post-June 1st designation, you can take that hit over two years. There's actually, I think, an argument to be made as to why the Broncos should just do it in one because they're not making the playoffs next year anyway because of their quarterback situation. So why not just rip I the have, Band-Aid uh, off? I have carefully considered your argument on that point, and I have come to agree with the idea that you uh, take your medicine yeah. in one year and then you're freed up sort of, for 2025. And, uh, you know, it's a monstrous figure. It really is. Uh, It's going to more than double the record 
for a dead money hit if it's taken one year. Yeah. And even if it's taken in two, the, the combined total would, of course, more than double the yeah. It's just a question whether you want to spread it out or not. Uh, these people are not poor. And uh, even relative to other owners in the league, they are the richest ownership group in the National Football League. They are not the richest in all major professional sports, but they are the richest ownership group in the NFL. And they can afford to uh, take the, the cap hit uh, from strictly a financial point of view. From a roster construction point of view, it is, of course, a disaster either way. Spreading over two years has its ramifications. Right. And I guess there are certain advantages and disadvantages in spreading it over two, as well as taking it all in one fell swoop uh, in one year. Uh, I and, he, but, and we're arguing in a vacuum because I don't think for a second the Broncos will take it all in one year. I, I just don't I, think I, they will. I don't think they will. Again, impossible to imagine that they could reasonably construct a roster that was that would be even as good as this year's was. And this year's wasn't very good by taking that cap hit all at once. But I, I've come to think about that and, and weigh the options. And it's a closer call. It's, I think a, it's it is. a closer call than I imagined it to be. But it, here, it, here's a sign of how desperate the Broncos are that it would even be suggested in multiple outlets that the Broncos trade the man most considered, not all, most considered to be their best player. That is a function of their desperation. Not that they're thinking it, but the only way that close observers of the Broncos, in some cases, can imagine that Denver could get back into the drafting business. Yes. In one is fell swoop. by trading its best player. And we'll certainly get Isn't into that, that as well. We'll but you're it. right. That's one of the, the the challenges. But there are, when you look at the Broncos, you know, the, the Russell Wilson situation, of course, blots out the sun because <laughs> of the, the expense, one way or the other. But there are other players that are really a factor here. And, and we've talked about a couple of them, but they're not players that don't have an impact. And, and we'll start, uh, we think, with the, guy, with the guy that we've talked about a little bit more because... He has all the leverage. Very rarely in the NFL does the player have all the leverage over a team. But right now, Cortland Sutton most certainly does. Sutton became, obviously has had a track record of success, perhaps not as robust as it is occasionally made out to be. But it was well, stands, had a good second half before yeah. he got hurt. But as it stands today, he's unquestionably the Broncos' best wide receiver, and it's by an enormous margin. He makes... Next season, $17.3 million. The year after that, he makes $17.8 million. The part about that with Cortland Sutton is think about this. The $18.3 million he made in 2023 was the fourth highest among all NFL wide receivers. Cortland Sutton is a good wide receiver. With all due respect to Cortland Sutton, he's not a top 10 wide receiver in the league, and he's not a top five wide receiver in the league. But he's paid like one. Right. Now, if you're the Denver Broncos and you are stuck in a very difficult situation cost-wise, you're looking at those players, right, that have those deals that you'd like to negotiate those down and maybe extend a year or two extra. But here's the deal with Cortland Sutton. 
He has no incentive to do that. He's been on a bad team his entire career. He's never been on a team, this Broncos team, that's been a winner ever. And now you run into a situation, if you're Sutton, where you'd rather just play this year and then you can go into next year and you like to keep your substantial cap hit and then, you know, you can be a free agent after that. Tell me if I'm right because you keep track of this more closely than I do. If the Broncos maintained the status quo at the wide receiver position, that mm-hmm. group would be among the five highest paid wide receiver groups in all the NFL. They do have, next year, they will have three wide receivers making, and I, I'm going to count, I'm rounding up with Jerry Judy, because Jerry Judy makes $12,987,000. Let's call that thirteen. Million. A lot more than he's making now. Let's call that $13 million because it leaps forward. And... When you break that down among all the NFL teams, we're talking about three, 13 million plus guys, three. It would not, as it stands, be the highest. The Chargers would be higher. The Seahawks would be higher. Well, I'm saying top five. But, but yes, in fact, they are number five, directly ahead of the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami right. Dolphins. Behind, oddly, three of the five, three of the uh, five top teams. Yeah, I'm a guess hitter sometimes. Right, right. And I guess Works out. Three of the top five teams in in spending at the wide receiver position, Sandy, are in the AFC West. The one that isn't is the one that's playing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so make of that what you will. But the Broncos, as it stands today, and this is not uncommon. A lot of the teams are, are over right now. The Broncos are about $24 million over the cap. Right. And that's without the dead money that they're going to be absorbing. So the idea of going out and going free agent shopping, if you're Broncos fans, that's not likely well, to occur. The the official word has already come out that they won't be yeah, involved not going to in be the aggressive. first wave, at least. Right. At least. So if you're expecting any signing announcements, major signing announcements on the first day or two or three of free agency from the Broncos, don't. Because there won't be one. For the Broncos at the moment, that position stacks up with Sutton, of course, leading the way at 17.3 million, Tim Patrick at 15.6, Jerry Judy at 13. And then it takes a big, big dive to Marvin Mims at 1.4 on his rookie deal. That makes Sutton's situation well, really enviable are, because are we, he doesn't have to make a move. Aren't we taking it for granted that Patrick will be released? Either released or a monster pay cut because well, there's no way the Broncos. But, but he, I, I'm sorry. And, and he, he's been a wonderful football citizen here. He's got the best hands on the team by a country mile. Yep. But it's not the hands that are the but problem. It's he's missed the, the last two years right. in what otherwise would have been the prime of his career. You cannot bring him back at any And he's a free cost. agent after the end of the year. And so moving away from Tim Patrick, and I do agree with you, I think in the end they will simply cut him. If they cut him, the dead cap money is $6 million. So, again, then you have to add that to whatever they do with Wilson. So, as you can see very quickly, the dead cap money is coming up. Now, of course, the argument the Broncos would have, especially Sean Payton, who's never really had Tim Patrick play for him and has missed the last two years, is thinking, well, the dead cap money's six, but we're not paying him nine of that. So, that's a net win. You know, the 15 million. So, you know, we'd be ahead of it. So, yeah, I think Patrick will be released. I agree with that. I don't think that makes much sense, which makes Sutton's position even more enviable. And, and Sutton doesn't have to do anything in this regard. If, if the Broncos want to give him a restructure, 
that's going to be multiple years with guarantees that he likes as he gets into his 30s, maybe he takes it. But otherwise, he can just stand pat and say, I'm not taking a pay cut. Just trade me. Because right now, Cortland Sutton, he, he makes a lot of money, but there are teams that would trade for him. He's a reliable, big body. Certainly, the touchdowns uh, make a difference. And you can see a team get him. Now, will the, what would the Broncos get for him? Because he makes that big money? That's in question. But that's not Cortland Sutton's problem. So if Cortland Sutton is looking at it, why does he care? Either, either keep the contract I have, you give me more years in a format that I like, or trade me. And, and the Broncos are stuck going to have to do what Cortland Sutton wants, not vice versa. When you talk about Tim Patrick, he's going to end up being cut, I think, and now you're looking at the, the dead cap money hitting there. And the wide receiver room, which underachieved, really starts becoming complicated. Because now you, if you have to move on from Sutton, it's Jerry Judy and Marvin Mims, and the other guy on the roster that makes the million dollars is David Sills. Can Broncos fans, if David Sills was sitting next to you right now, would I would you know not, it was David Sills? I would not recognize him. Right. I would not recognize So that's where they sit on that. And you're not even addressing some of the other big ones. Garrett Bowles, who is 31 at this yes. stage, and I think had a, what, C to C plus year? He was fine. That's fair. Wasn't special, fair but he was fine. It, the 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 C plus if you give him the plus would be owed simply to durability. Durability. I don't have a problem with that. But Bowles makes twenty million next year, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. After that, are the Broncos interested in re-signing Garrett Bowles at a new left tackle market price? I'm thinking probably not. But but if, again, what are the alternatives? Are right. they going to draft a top tier? tackle left or otherwise which you probably could, could do at number 12 in. you probably it, could do it maybe number 12. maybe you could uh, Joe but Hall, are you Ola really Kishanu. going to draft a tackle with the 12th overall pick when you have, when you have screaming one, needs elsewhere right and you and you have one now uh garrett bowles is not a, an all pro but he's also not the problem <laughs> and so do you want to create a problem that you immediately well, have to solve. Garrett Bowles and Russell Wilson, I think, are kind of sort of in the same category. They they had average, some would say slightly better than average years. Uh, the Broncos don't have, at the present time, anything approaching suitable replacements for either one of them. No. So I, I look no. at Bowles and Wilson in much the same way. I think the chances are better. Far, far, far better that they unload them both as opposed to keeping them both and keeping one out of the two, um, I don't know, 45, 55, maybe a little closer to 50, 50, that they keep either one of the two. There's no chance to keep Wilson. No. I think there is a better chance that they will keep Bowles, but not a much, much, much better chance. I could see the situation with Bowles being less about any sort of negotiation and more just, we're just going to let him play out the last year of his deal and see what happens. Maybe, maybe. I could see that scenario. Uh, One of the other players It's not like the Broncos aren't in the habit of overpaying people. They've been doing it for years, if not decades. And especially at that position, for sure. DJ Jones, the nose tackle for the Broncos, who I, I, I thought coming over from the Niners, I thought was a great signing. It was a pretty good sign. He's been, again, like, all right. All right. He makes pretty good. $12.9 million pretty this year, good. last year of his deal. 
I think you could be looking at the same thing where they just let him play it out because, again, just like with Garrett Bowles, there's nobody there to take over the job behind well, him. Well, no, although I will say this, and I think we've discussed this before, I thought at the end of the year Mike Purcell was at least as effective mm-hmm. as D.J. Jones was, and I didn't even think Mike Purcell would make the team. But Purcell's already, he's a free agent. His contract's up. Now, granted, you presume the Broncos would be the first place to get him back, but the other concern about someone like Purcell is Purcell will turn 33 I before the season. And now, D.J. Jones I, is not a kid. No, he'll, he'll, he's but 29. But he's in his 20s. Yeah, he's 29. Yeah. So they have choices to make there, and then it's hard to believe you have to bring it up, but maybe, maybe the biggest, because we've talked, you mentioned it before, maybe if not their best player, but a, a person... I personally think he's the Broncos' best player, but he's but he's maybe not the same draft day trade value as a Pat Sertan. He's Justin Simmons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Justin Simmons. Well, it's just because the position he plays. If he flipped their right. positions and Simmons was the corner and Sertan was the safety, you wouldn't have any hesitation in saying that Simmons makes more plays and therefore is more valuable. Yes. Simmons makes $18.25 million in the final year of his career. Now, I, I don't have to say anything about Justin Simmons except that I, I said before, I think he's the Broncos' best player. He had three or more interceptions for the sixth I agree straight year. I agree. And all I, I'll throw out all the stats. I talk about the eye test. When Justin Simmons was not they on gave the field, up 70. the defense With was a Patrick disaster. On the field. Correct. And when Justin Simmons came back, the defense got a lot better. And the only difference seemed to be Justin Simmons. Correct. And maybe a little better on Browning, but Browning's return came, came later after. than Simmons. Right. So Simmons, to my mind, the, the Broncos cannot, cannot get rid of Simmons. That's a guy that I think you have to come to a deal where you, you maybe his cap number this year goes down, but you're going to have to extend him. And if you're Justin Simmons, you're in a great position. If I were Justin you don't, Simmons, you don't. God bless him that he wants to stay here, if that in fact is the case. But if I were him, I'd want out. Me too. Me too. He's already 30 years old. He's never been on a winner. It mid-season, I would have wanted out. Of course, the Broncos won, and Sean Payton convinced himself he had turned everything around after they beat the Chiefs. So he went from in the morning uh, being open to trading just about everybody to after the Kansas City game being open to trading virtually no one because he, Sean Payton, had turned the ship around, and the Broncos were going to sail into the play. This is where the Denver Broncos are. You know, the talk financially is about Russell Wilson, but think of what we're talking about. Justin Simmons, Cortland Sutton. Garrett Bowles, DJ Jones, all starters, major starters, significant starters. And the Broncos probably will not have all five of them back. I mean, that, that that's shocking for a team that didn't make the playoffs to lose arguably a couple of their four or five best players. Yikes. Well, perhaps the quarterback situation is set to be resolved at the draft. Probably not in the way a lot of people hope. But the Broncos do seem to be, by multiple reports, zooming in into one particular quarterback that they like at the Senior Bowl. It's not the one you're thinking. It's not the other one you're thinking either. It's, well, you might not even know this one. We'll tell you next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports.
Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, at the quarterback position for the Denver Broncos, they are paying attention, as every NFL team is right now, to the Senior Bowl, where Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., are out there, of course, putting their game on display, both trying to be first-round draft picks and both potentially uh, options for the Denver Broncos at number 12. The interesting idea about this, when you look at, though, the for, for quarterbacks, is it may be that they're not really looking at either one of those. It's kind of intriguing. The quarterback out of Tulane, if you're not watching a lot of Tulane football, I get you, Michael Pratt seems to be a potential target for the Broncos. Pratt has said he's talked to the Broncos. He's interested in what the Broncos, of course, would offer, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, let's face it, he's out there trying to make uh, any team anywhere. But the the question I have about that is for Broncos fans as a day three pick, if you pick not a day two, huh? Uh, maybe, maybe he's day two, maybe. Third round? Oh, I don't think he's third round. You don't? I don't. I don't. And well, then... I don't. <laughs> he's not worth drafting then. That's And see, that's kind of my question. If you don't think he's worth a, a third-round pick, and I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I I can't say I've spent a lot of time. I don't know Michael, Michael Pratt. Pratt. I don't Pratt, know Michael Pratt. Pratt. I, 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 can, I can find stuff on him any day I choose to. Uh, I will over the weekend, since you'll be out in Las Vegas next week, right. and I'll be here. Um uh, I will look into uh, Michael Pratt on YouTube and but it, see what there is to see. Uh, but but you're, you're, and listen, I assume the Broncos know more about Michael Pratt than I know, which is nothing uh, next to nothing. Uh, I've heard of him. Uh, I've not seen him play a game from start to finish. I haven't seen him play uh, really much at all, and so I, I will grant them uh, a certain expertise regarding Michael Pratt that. I certainly don't possess. Uh, but if they're not set to draft him on the third round, there are other quarterbacks you can take later in the draft, and they're essentially going to be career backups. Pratt to Jarrett Stidham has, or yeah, already had other, to, one of the stooges they think they're bringing in that are going to set them off on a, a course to the playoffs. Pratt said he's already had a couple of interviews, and that was his quote, a couple of interviews with the Broncos. Uh, oh, in Tulane in his four years, he started 46 games. We know that's probably a big deal to Sean Payton, who from the Parcells School believes that starts right. are a big part of it. Of course, Pennix that that would satisfy one of the seven Parcells who started a lot. In fact, no quarterbacks ever started more games yeah. than Bo Nix. Right. Uh, he completed 60.6 percent of his passes, which, to my mind, maybe a little low uh, for elite NFL prospects. Well, I'll have to go back and uh, find the Parcells rules again, but I think. It was 62%, maybe even more than that. Uh, he would be that a little was low at 60.6. That was back then, too, with that yeah, offense true. is not designed to get higher rates. True. But keep in mind that that Peyton obviously knows a lot about Tulane. That's where the Saints held their training camps, was at Tulane University. Uh, 
comfortable with their head coach over there, Willie Fritz. Um, the offensive lineman for Tulane, offensive line coach Dan Rauschar, coached under Peyton with the Saints from 2013 to 21. So he knows that. Uh, Pratt, earlier in the year, had told Tulane's uh, sideline reporter, Matty Hudak, that he watches Drew Brees clips to learn because he sees himself in that vein. Well, we know that Sean Payton is looking for the next Drew Brees. Perhaps that's a mid-round pick. But Drew then, Brees is not a first-round pick. Correct. He was the, the first pick of the second round. Yeah, but, but he was technically not. Technically not. Uh, you know, who knows with Pratt? But I do wonder, and I'm curious, our, our call and text line is 303-831-1340 for Broncos fans. Is, is that going to be enough for you if they select a, a, a fourth-round quarterback and you hear the same thing you hear from Sean Payton that you did when he signed Jared Stidham, that we see him as a future NFL starter? Is that going to be good enough for you? Now, the funny thing is it kind of does show that Broncos, I would say people that are monitoring the Broncos, observers, have them all over the place. The Athletic had their Dane Brugler, who's a terrific draft expert, had his mock draft and had the Broncos selecting Joe Milton, the quarterback out of Tennessee, because they liked he likes Milton's measurables out at the Senior Bowl this I week. I like Milton. He's thrown the hardest ball. He's thrown the furthest ball. He's had the most RPMs. But, but I, I don't think he's the 12th pick. No, they had him picking him in the... Uh, they had, Where did Brugler have him? Brugler had the Broncos picking him in the sixth round, figuring that Milton's, okay. Milton's ability as a runner would allow Peyton right. to, pick, to build packages for him immediately, a la yeah, Taysom Hill. That, that, well, if... if Peyton had ever been totally sold on Taysom Hill, he would have played a lot more than he played for Peyton. I agree. And this is where I think it's interesting, though, that the people that are observing the Broncos from afar do look at Sean Payton, and what are we seeing the pattern? They're seeing the same thing that we've been telling you. Sean Payton likes Sean Payton, guys. What do you hear about Michael Pratt this week? Oh, he studies Drew Brees. There's familiarity with this and that. Oh, Joe Milton might be like Taysom Hill. Okay, because because what does Sean Payton like? Sean Payton likes what he had before. And, you know, we're not hearing coming out of the Senior Bowl, out of the Senior Bowl, all week. You know, we're not hearing. Bo Nix has had multiple discussions with the Broncos. Michael Pratt has. Michael Penix Jr. hasn't had multiple discussions with the Broncos. Michael Pratt has. Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. are at the Senior Bowl. You can talk to Smartest them as easily as you can Michael Pratt. Guy in the room syndrome. Smartest guy in the room. And heck, in the universe of possible things, he may be right. That Pratt will turn out to be better than Bo Nix, better than Penix, better than McCarthy even. McCarthy's not at the Senior Bowl, no. by the way. Any more than Daniels is there. Caleb Williams is there. Greg May is there. That, to me, that, is fascinating. None See, of the top four guys are what people uh, people consider to be the top four guys. None of them at the Senior Bowl. If I were the Broncos at, at the Senior Bowl, I am, obviously, you have to focus on many, many things. But I am locking in on, on Knicks and Penix, and I have to see if one of these guys can be my, my, my man. And I am spending my time talking to them, and I'm watching them, and I, I'm, I'm seeing if I can get things through back channels. You know, you can talk to them. Like Pratt said, he's had multiple discussions with the Broncos. I... Maybe it's happening and nobody knows about it, but most of that stuff just happens uh, out. The, the, the Senior Bowl is not to be confused with, it, it, say, the Rose Bowl. It's not, it, it, is, it is glorified practices well, in front yes. of a bunch of team scouts. 
Yes, and 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 people chatter all the time. So if there's yeah, any it's interest, a, it's a networking on event. the part of the Broncos in Knicks or Panics, you you'd have read about it, you'd have heard about it. There there hasn't been, and that's okay. If they're not in love with Knicks, I'm not in love with Knicks. They're not in love with Penix. I'm not in love with Penix. He's had an injury history. He wasn't very good in the national championship game. I'm not in love with him. And if you're going to take a guy with the 12th pick overall, you or do. even trade down and take him later in the first round, you, you got to be in love with him. You them. do. You're right. Now, if they like Pratt more than they like Knicks or Penix or McCarthy, for that matter, Okay, but then if you're taking him on the second day and not on the third, I mean, you can get the Joe Miltons of the world, as you suggest, on the third day. Uh, Maybe Pratt is more their style, but to me, they're hedging their bets if they take a quarterback on a third day in terms of having a starting quarterback or a serious competitor for the number one job. They're hedging their bets. They're going to go with at least the beginning of next year. They're going to go with a veteran, whether it be Stidham or somebody they bring in. And it's, it's going to once again, make the Broncos in training camp virtually irrelevant. Not that that's their main objective, but as we've said in sports, relevance tends to precede competitiveness. We saw that mm-hmm. play out, as we discussed earlier this week at the University of Colorado. Uh, competitiveness is harder to attain when you've been really, really bad. Competitiveness takes longer to reach than relevance. Yes. And the Broncos aren't even close to being relevant, much less competitive really at not. this point. And, and I, I think when you, you see that, so, you know, already in this process – the idea of Knicks, and I, I, I look at Bo Nix, and I'm with you. I don't, I'm not totally confident he'll be a great player at the NFL level, but I do look at his style of play. I look at his body of work, and I think that's a Sean Payton type of guy. But I think there'd be a little more smoke coming out of Tulane if you, I mean, you're coming out of the Senior Bowl out in Mobile if the Broncos were genu- genuinely interested. Because you have to start this evaluation process right now. So, again, I look at this, and, and I keep warning Broncos fans, and i I, I got to be honest, I kind of hope I'm wrong. I, I hope all of you can call or text in, in in a couple months and say, see, Sean, you were sure of this, but you were wrong. I hope you get to. Because you know, like, I firmly believe the two we're of talking us, about Jameis Winston and Jared Stidham battling to be the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Between the two of us, Regarding the Bronco quarterback situation, since the retirement of Peyton Manning, we ain't been wrong much, if at all. And that's a much better track record than the Broncos have. <laughs> They've been wrong every time. Every time. It is uh, it, It's just a fascinating discussion. And I, I do think the Broncos are at the point they probably, they, they probably need to pick a guy with that 12th pick. But Dane Brugler in his mock draft, did have the in his mock Brock Bowers falling to number twelve? Be very tempting. When looking at the Broncos, tempting. and that would be tempting. That would be extremely. I, he's tempting. a top five talent. Now I know the injury bug nipped at him this year a little bit, and he clearly in the uh, 
SEC championship game was not himself. He, he was not even close to being 100% healthy, and that helped Alabama beat Georgia that day. The injury problems he had this past year may push him down. I don't know if it pushes him out of the top 10, though. I, I do wonder because you look at the, the, and the, you're not trading the tight end position in this era of football is kind of the secret sauce of any offense. I mean, look look at who we're talking about in the postseason. Look at even who was in the championship game. Look look at the tight ends in the championship games. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, the two best tight ends in the league, will be Probably. playing in the Super Bowl. Yes. If it's not Kittle, it's Mark Andrews, who, who was yeah, I think playing Kittle's for the Ravens. And coming fast, by the way, is rookie Sam Laporta, who was there with the Lions. More versatile. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, there were, actually, uh, there were, in the championship games, there were five really, really good tight ends, because I include Lively, the the youngster in Baltimore in that group. I'm not saying he's the fifth best tight end in the NFL. I'm saying he is, as Andrew's replacement this year, uh, I he was think more than he was more than serviceable. Absolutely. And so I, I think when you look at those fits, that if you're not going to go quarterback and Brock Bowers were to drop, I think I'd probably be very tempted just because the tight end position right now, as teams go too high safety, leave tight ends room to operate. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's smart a bunch of ends. hidden Bowers is a smart yes, tight end. And there's a bunch of hidden yards and hidden first right. downs that can keep drives going. Let let's make one other point. In addition to that, Sean Payton likes to operate in the middle of the field. Uh, Brock Bowers is fearless in in the middle of the field, uh, putting his body at risk as he did quite often this year and in other years. And what's the general? Rule the real rule about first round draft picking is best player available. At Parenthetically, a, at, at a, a position, position of, of need. need. Right, right. <laughs> Which the coach does never say and that part, but they mean it. Bowers, if you, he's out there at twelve still somehow, you need a tight Pretty hard team. to argue that he isn't the best player available at a position of need. That's you true. don't have a tight end. Absolutely you true. Have an injured young tight end who never plays. And then you have Adam Troutman. Broncos do need to tight end. There's no question about it at all. Want to remind you over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code Mile High, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. That means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. It's easy to do. Just Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MileHigh, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Big weekend. The rubber is hitting the road for the local college basketball programs. We will take a peek where they stand in the national viewpoint. Sandy's got all the latest. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Only a couple weeks left in the, the regular season for most of the college basketball teams. The conference tournament's coming up uh, soon enough. And in this particular setup for CU, CSU, DU, the conference tournaments are going to be immensely important. That's the, all that matters for DU, as it, we know. Yes, and that's a good point. Yeah, because the, the, the Summit's going to send one team. Whoever wins the uh, the it, the league is going to be your entry, and then that's Automatic it. qualifier. So why, why don't we start there real quickly? Because as you pointed out, I mean, really, that's that's what it boils down to. But it also matters where they are. They have now dropped fourth place in the summit. Tied for fourth. After kind of being a, the, the good start, now getting pretty darn wobbly. They've lost three of their last four. And after a, a, a terrific start, they are only four and five in their last nine games. It, it feels like the wheels are coming off a bit. It does, and they lost to Kansas City most recently. Uh, here's the problem. Uh, they did beat South Dakota State, but they beat them at home, and they still have to play them at South Dakota State. They lost to North Dakota on the road. They have a home game left. They've lost once to Omaha. They have two left with St. Thomas. Obviously, they need to win both to improve their standing. Right. Uh, they've already lost at Kansas City. They have a home game left against Kansas City. They've already lost to Oral Roberts at home. They have beaten North Dakota State on the road, and they have beaten South Dakota at home. They're 4-4 four and four in league play. They're tied for fourth. But Oral Roberts has beaten them head-to-head. Kansas City's beaten them head-to-head. They haven't played St. Thomas yet. And then you have Omaha, North Dakota, and South Dakota State, the only teams with winning records in the Summit League. They have to win the tournament. And, you know, if, if you finish, they're only ahead of two teams, North Dakota State and South Dakota. That's not going to produce a favorable position for them as far as seeding is concerned in the, in the tournament. That they'll probably have to beat two teams that they haven't been able to beat this year, most most likely, as things stand now. So they, they've got to step it up for a better seeding position. But again, there will be one berth out of the Summit League, and it will be the automatic qualifier, uh, and that goes to the team that wins the conference tournament. I believe, and I've always believed, that the team that wins the regular season should get the automatic berth and the tournament should be for at-large positions. But then, of course, there wouldn't be at-large teams out of the Summit League, so the tournament would mean nothing. There'd be no point in having the tournament. There'd be nothing at stake. But in this case, obviously, that's good for DU because it gives them a second chance because you can get hot and make a run. Well, let's work our way up the food chain a bit. Let's go to Boulder, where the Colorado Buffalo is now 15-6. and six. They are third in the Pac-12, more on the Pac-12 versus Mountain West in a minute when we get to CSU because it, it's a different situation. The Buffs' most recent game, a loss on the road to Washington State. Before that, they had run one four in a row. But before that, they had lost three in a row, so they find themselves four and four in their last eight. Those 16 
and or pardon me, 15 and six overall. So again, another thing where uh, is it looking wobblier or after that three game losing streak and then winning four before falling on the road to Washington state, does it feel like maybe the buffs are riding the ship? If they win at Utah tomorrow, they are not tomorrow. in good shape. They're in great shape. Okay. If they lose tomorrow, I think they have to win out at least at home and probably even if they do that, win at least one on the road. Now in the Pac-12, I mean, Utah is behind in the, Pac-12, in the conference. I understand. Uh, and they have two games left with Utah home and home in the Pac-12. You play home and home against everybody save for two schools. And of course, after this year, there won't be a Pac-12 as we know. The only two teams they play once are Stanford. They play Stanford at home, and they play at UCLA. They play USC twice, but UCLA only once, Stanford only once. Everybody else, they play home and home. They're undefeated at home. Right. This game tomorrow at Utah, the and the game matinee. a week from tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, by the way. Weird, a matinee, 3 p.m. start. The game a week from tomorrow against Arizona at home, those are the two biggest games they have left. Certainly. Win both those games, I'm confident they'll make the national tournament. Assuming they don't fall flat on their face in the league tournament and go one and done. Right, yeah. That would be the trick. You just can't have that happen. And, and, and they are in a in a spot that's somewhat advantageous because you've pointed out with the that they do have a game on the road versus Oregon, but since they've beaten Oregon at home, it wouldn't ding them so much to lose to Oregon on the road. So, yeah, that that's not a bad look. And it helps that they are but here's in. here's how close it is. CU is literally the last team in the tournament, as calculated by Joe Lenardi, yeah. whose bracketology Dead last. Uh, column comes out twice during the course of the Monday through Friday. And among the first four out, Washington State, and among the next four out, Oregon. That's how tight it is. Yeah, And it, it, right now, CU is the last team in Washington State, is among the first four out and Oregon among the next four out, they're all but interchangeable. And the rest of the season will tell the story. We are at mid-season in conference play in the Pac-12. They play 20 conference games. Everybody's played right now 10 games. The Pac-12 is, as you pointed out all year, a softer conference in basketball than the Mountain West, where the Colorado State Rams, of course, reside. Uh, They are still in the also-receiving-votes category, although they have fallen out of the top 25. They have a game tomorrow evening at Fresno State. Must Uh, win. It it feels like it after the... the, Fresno's terrible. They had a good win at home at Moby. Over last year's uh, finalist, San Diego yep. State, it was it was an eight-point win. They looked like a good team. Win. Good win in front of a national audience. This is, again, a CBS Sports Network national yeah. game tomorrow night, so an opportunity to make another statement against yep. a bad team. start. Right, so primetime start, an opportunity to really show some things. But for the Rams, the problem is the Mountain West is stacked. They are in sixth place despite being 16-5 on the year yeah. and 4-4 uh, four and four in conference. I, that's where you're talking about why – they have to beat this Fresno State team, which is two and six in conference. And a Wyoming and loss is a bad overall. loss. Let's make no mistake it about was. it last Saturday. It was. Because though Wyoming is five and three in the league, and Wyoming's certainly a solid team. They're just 12 Wyoming's and nine. only twelve and nine. Right. So losing to them sets you back. 
And beating San Diego State at home does not bring you all the way back. That's why at this time last week, CSU was a six seed. Now they're a seven. Which means you've projected. dropped roughly four, somewhere between one and four spots to, to do that. But it does still put them in a good place if they're going to go ahead and win. The Rams do have two games remaining against ranked teams, one at home against Utah State, and then uh, only four days later in the pit over at New Mexico, they'll have to take on the number 19, at least at the moment, the, the Mexico Lobo. So you're you're talking about a pretty difficult schedule. The road, the the silver lining of being in a good conference is if you win your conference games, it does carry weight. And the Mountain West is a good conference. So if they can continue to keep winning in conference at home, mainly. yeah, it gives them a better resume because the teams they're beating in general, even the ones yeah. that aren't at the top of the food but, chain are better, but you can't lose to Wyoming and you can't lose to Fresno state. Even on the road, you cannot lose that game. You only play Fresno state once. Yeah. San Jose state you've got at home and they're even worse than Fresno state. San Jose state one and seven, eight and 13 overall air force one and seven, eight and 12 overall. It took overtime for CSU to beat air force at home. Let's remember that. Right. You've still got to play Air Force down there, and that can be tricky when the pressure's on because there's no pressure on Air Force. Any league win they get is a great league win. And they have a coach who loves to be in the underdog position in Joe Scott. Uh, he's coached at Air Force for many years, two separate stints, but many years at the, at the academy. They have to beat the lower half teams in the Mount West Conference, whether it's at home or on the road, and they have to basically position they're in now at four and four, they have to win their home games. I don't care who's on the other side. They have to win their home games and break through Fresno State, Air Force, their must wins on the road. Uh, UNLV will be tough to get. It'd be nice to get it. Uh, San Diego State, they play again on the road. New Mexico, as you mentioned, they play on the road. Uh, the two home games against Utah State and Boise State are huge because they've already lost to those teams on the road. They have to beat them at home. Up in Boulder, the Colorado women keep on keeping on, though they have dropped in rank to sixth in the country. That's still not too bad. Uh, second in the Pac-12, 7-2 and two behind only Stanford. Big weekend for the Buffaloes tonight at 8 p.m. They'll take on Washington State. Then they'll take on Washington on Sunday. Both of those games on the road. So big opportunities for the Buffalo ladies to keep going and build forward. They are at the moment in the bracketology side of things. Among the women's tournament, they are the number two, one of the number two seeds in the region there. So Colorado finds themselves in an enviable position, but you got to keep it going as uh, J.R. Payne's squad continues to uh, really, really look like a just a spectacular program they're building up there. But it is a big weekend for all four of those programs uh, and not a lot of wiggle room for some of the men's programs, as you pointed out, because uh, that the road gets pretty narrow and pretty bumpy pretty quickly with the wrong kind of wins. A weekend like we saw last weekend would be disastrous for a couple of those universities programs. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. The Denver Nuggets get going again tonight. They will take on the Portland Trail Blazers. They will also take on the Portland Trail Blazers again on Sunday. And both of those games will be here in Denver over at the Denver Gazette. Our friend Vinny Benedetto covers them. He'll join us from uh, 
Ball Arena to talk about the latest with the Nuggets next on Miley Sports.